Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. This is Terry O'Toole, health scientist in the Division of Adolescent and School Health at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, talking to Marlene Schwartz, Deputy Director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity, about the CDC's school health surveillance systems. Hello, this is Marlene Schwartz, and I am the Deputy Director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity, and I'm here with Dr. Terry O'Toole, who is the Senior Advisor on the Communities Putting Prevention to Work State and Territory Initiative with the Division of Nutrition, Physical Activity, and Obesity at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Thanks for coming, Terry. Thanks, Marlene. It's a pleasure to be here with you. So what I was hoping we could start with is some of the work that's done at the CDC to do surveillance of what's happening in our schools when it comes to nutrition. Um, so can you explain the different surveillance programs that you all have at the CDC? Sure, absolutely. We have three main surveillance systems at the CDC when it comes to um, what's going on in schools and youth behaviors. First, I'll highlight the Youth Risk Behavior Surveillance System. And that's, that survey is tailored for health youth risk behaviors and essentially asks questions about a variety of health risk areas, including nutrition. And we use that to assess the behavioral uh, indicators of youth. And then we also have two other surveillance systems that I can talk about. One is the School Health Policies and Programs Study. The School Health Policies and Programs Study is a um, surveillance system that we, um, it's a national sur survey periodically conducted to assess school policies and programs at the state, district, school, and classroom level. Now, it's called SHIPS, and we actually began SHIPS in 1994, and it's conducted every six years. So 94, 2000, and 2006 was our last, um, sur our last survey. What we assess regarding nutrition on SHIPS are policies and programs or policies and practices that are, that are implemented or adopted at the state, district, and school level. So we assess a variety of nutrition topical areas with SHIPS. Examples of some of those would be um, availability of junk foods in schools. So does your state have a policy that limits access to junk foods in schools, either through a la carte or vending or some other competitive food source venue. So let me ask you a question about that. Have you seen much change uh, from the last two SHIP surveys in terms of the nutrition quality of what's available in schools? We have, in fact. You know, one of the biggest changes that we saw in the school meals program actually was the offering of French fried potatoes. That was actually a great reduction that we saw that reduced almost in half in terms of fried potatoes. Wow. So that was a nice reduction for school meals. We've also seen a reduction in the offering of junk foods in schools in general. Now, I will say that even though we've seen a reduction of junk foods and an increase in certain healthy beverages, such as water, uh, there's still a large um, problem with junk food access in schools. So do you have any thoughts from the data that you've collected about what predicts those districts that are doing better or those schools that are doing better in terms of nutrition? What's interesting to look at is, uh, is the, some of the things that states or districts are doing 
when we see those types of changes. Uh, and I'll mention our third uh, surveillance system that I referenced earlier, school health profiles, because with our school health profiles, which is a survey conducted every two years, and it's a lot like ships, only it asks a more limited number of questions. It produces state-level data for us, so we can absolutely assess what's going on between states. And one thing that we saw uh, that was an improvement in certain states was the number of schools that were selling junk foods. And we saw in particular states where there were some really significant increases between the years 2006 and 2008 in the amount of junk food that they're selling to kids. So do you think that um, state-level policies make a big difference, or do you think that these decisions are usually made at the district level? That's a great question. I think it's a case where probably both are important. And when we look at our state-level data, we have a couple of states that made some pretty significant advances. These are also states that happen to have had happen to have high rates of childhood obesity. The state of Mississippi and the state of Tennessee in 2006 were offering were selling a lot of junk in their schools. In 2008, they basically tripled in the reduction of offering junk foods. Now, you asked what we saw going on there. We saw a great investment in school health. We also saw um, an adoption of a statewide policy during that time period. So we do think that state policy makes a difference. Are there other factors um, that you think predict the bigger changes or the smaller changes? So, for example, there's a lot of discussion about the economic, you know. So, for example, there's a lot of discussion about economic influences where people think that they need to keep selling the unhealthy food in order to support the school. Has that been a factor, do you think, in what you've seen? Well, I think, I think it certainly is part of the equation. We know that research shows that students who attend schools that sell foods with low nutrient value, often referred to as junk foods and sugar-sweetened beverages, they, those students have lower intakes of fruits, vegetables, milk at lunch, fruits and vegetables, and higher percentage of calories from fat and, and saturated fat. We also know that the majority of students who attend schools in a district with a written wellness policy that has nutrition standards for competitive foods, um, over half of the states have policies that limit or restrict access to these foods. Now, to your question, with that backdrop, a frequently expressed reason for not implementing strong nutrition standards is a concern that implementation will reduce revenue that is obtained from these food and beverage sales. So, what do we know? The evidence is that while some schools report an initial decrease in revenue after implementing strong standards, there's a growing body of evidence that suggests that schools can in fact have strong nutrition standards while maintaining financial stability. Now, what are some of the factors behind that? Well, one is that we have seen, in the, again, in the literature, that financial risk can often be minimized by careful selection and clever marketing of the healthier foods and beverage items. So in addition to policy, marketing does play a role. And also, it's important to get out the message that there's data to support the notion that school beverage vending contracts are not a significant source of revenue to most schools. 
See, I think that's a big surprise to a lot of school districts because they think that they're getting so much money from those vending machines, but in fact, they really aren't. In fact, they're not. We, we can take a look at one study that analyzed 120 beverage contracts from 16 states and found that on average, sale of beverages in schools generate only $18 per student per year. Wow. That's interesting. Um, I know that the American Beverage Association has uh, come out in the last probably three years with reports showing that they're systematically decreasing the amount of sugar-sweetened beverages that they're delivering to schools. I think this was a project that they did with the Alliance for a Healthier Generation, sort of a, a deal that they made to try to do their part. Um, what is your sense of how successful that program has been? Well, I will tell you that any activity that seeks to reduce um, junk foods in schools, and that includes uh, sodas and soft drinks and sugar-sweetened beverages, is probably something that um, that we should s- support and encourage. So we're pleased to see that kind of activity, that, um, that there's some voluntary action going on. We can also tell you that our data seem to indicate that state policy and district policy does make a difference. So at the same time we have these voluntary measures, it's also important to consider policy approaches as well. So it really needs to be a combination of sort of industry action combined with state and local action to really make the biggest difference. I think that's true. The more people you can get behind you on the initiative working in the same direction will probably better its opportunity for success. So now I do have one question for you, which is which state out of the 50 states does seem to be doing the best job in terms of taking out the unhealthy beverages of schools? Well, it's a great question. In fact, we have seen that particularly with regard to soda or sugar-sweetened beverages, in actual fact, the state of Connecticut has always been a leader nationally in the years that we've been doing the study, particularly in 2006 when they were at 60% of schools not selling soda. And we thought that was pretty good because that was way above the median until we analyzed data in 2008 where they actually leaped to over 90% of schools not selling soda. And so state policy or legislation in this case absolutely seems to make a difference. Well, I think it's probably pretty obvious that that was a purposeful question on my part, but it's nice to have the work that was done here in Connecticut by our state legislature and our Department of Education really be recognized in this national survey that the efforts here really have made a difference and have put Connecticut out ahead of most states in terms of making these changes. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Um, we appreciate it. and. Uh, keep up the great work down there, keeping track of what's happening across the country, and we'll look forward to seeing the results from the next SHIPS survey in 2012, right? Absolutely. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Terry O'Toole is a health scientist in the Division of Adolescent and School Health at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And Marlene Schwartz is Deputy Director of the Red Center for Food Policy and Obesity. For more information about the Rudd Center and the field of obesity and food policy, please log on to YaleRuddCenter.org.